Debating Metalheads, and welcome back to another episode of Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. This is the show your mother warned you about. Well, maybe not so much, but it is about hard rock and heavy metal, so she might not be happy with you listening to us. But anyway, this week we're going head-to-head with a band that not many of you know too well out there, and their name is Saigon Kick with their self-titled debut versus their second album, The Lizard. While the band technically made five studio albums, these are the only two albums that featured original lineup with Matt Kramer on vocals. So we're going to go over both albums, and then at the end we'll decide which one we think is better. Last episode we gave you our take on Alter Bridge's greatest hits, so be sure to download it and click subscribe to get all our new episodes when they drop. As for this episode, we're going to go straight into the main topic, because surprisingly for a new band, they wrote and recorded a lot of songs. So... Let's get into this with uh, Saigon Kick. Um, like, as I mentioned, not a lot of people know who this band is. And they're a band from Miami, which, if I'm not mistaken, I introduced to you, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. So, I, they they were from Miami, the early 90s. Uh, they debuted, uh, their, de- excuse me, their debut album came out in 91. Um, they were probably, I think they started in 89 or something like that. And... For me, when I caught wind of these guys, it was it was so cool because I started you know I started to hang out with friends near the area where they were playing a lot of shows, and so I ended up hearing this buzz about this band called Saigon Kick. I started working for a record store. I was going to a music business school, and all you heard around the music scene was this band Saigon Kick, Saigon Kick, Saigon Kick, and. I finally went to see him in a show, a local show, in a small little club that held 2,000 people, and my God, was that just an incredible show. The energy that, that they put out, the fans were into it. And yeah, it's it's local, so you know they're from there, so the, it was a hometown crowd. You don't know how the rest of the country's reacting to this you know, or how they're doing in other other parts of the country, as far as their shows are concerned. But if if they were putting on the same kind of show, I mean, any any metal fan at the time should have totally been into this. What what, what do you think? What, you know, since you've just gotten into them recently, what do you think about them as far as their music and their style and stuff like that? I think they were definitely a little bit ahead of their time and. Um, very eclectic and maybe because of the time that they came out and because of that, it just, it, uh, it kind of worked against them. And so in hindsight, I think if people are listening to this now, a lot of people might say, I don't understand why they weren't big, but you have to put it in the context of when they arrived on the scene and it just... Like, it really took a little bit for them to hit their stride. And by that time, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out because time is against them. So, um, I think they could have been big in a different time period. Yeah, I, I, I almost think if, if it was maybe, and it's weird because we say they were ahead of their time. But if you think about it, if they come out maybe two to three years earlier, they're probably big on that scene. But they were almost, in some cases, they were he- too heavy for to be a hair band. Yeah. But not heavy enough to be a thrash band. 
you know, and, and they definitely don't fit into the grunge scene. So it's just kind of weird. They were very unique to, unto themselves, but yet uh, eventually you're going to, you're going to lump them in with the hair metal bands and that style, some of the heavier ones. At the same time, when we say that they were ahead of their time, very similar to how Alice in Chains was, you know, uh, even though they came, Alice in Chains came out a year earlier, Alice in Chains was ahead of their time. And not a lot of people got them at first. I mean, it was cool because you you heard the song Man in a Box and you say, oh yeah, that's a great song. You know, and you, when you listen to the rest of the album, although the songs are really good, there's this weird, the whole thing about the way that they play, you know, their music is very dissonant. That is, that throws people off and not everyone gets that. And it it, it took until... The second album where they had a couple of slower songs, songs that were more uh, not as dissonant, that became hits. That was from the, was it the, the the Dirt, from, you know, the Dirt album. Yeah. That, or just Dirt, really. That album, like songs like, you know, Rooster or, um, uh, what's that slow song? I can't remember. But even then, uh, what was the other one? Wood. Those songs were not as dissonant, and so it wasn't as off-putting, I guess you could say. And, and that then people really got into Alice in Chains, um, but it, it took a bit, you know. Even though the first album was a, was a hit, if you want to put it that way, it did take a while for for people to really embrace Alice in Chains. And I guess that's very similar with these guys. They just didn't get the chance because they started to self disintegrate within themselves and then you know things fell apart from there in the mid 90s yeah but we're here to talk about these first two albums of theirs and just so you know a little bit about saigon kick saigon kick the band uh is is led by lead vocalist matt kramer um guitar player and co-lead vocalist jason beeler um bass player is his name is tom defile and on drums is phil verone some of you guys out there may know who Phil Verone is. He played briefly with Skid Row in, I believe it was 2000 or 2003, somewhere around there. Um, and so this was the band, and they, they're they on both of these albums. So that um, at least there, there's some consistency with these two albums. The first album was a self-titled album, Saigon Kick. It was released in 1991. It was produced by Michael Wagner. It was released on Third Stone Atlantic Records. And it was recorded at Scream in Studio City, Los Angeles, California. Now, here's the, here's the unique thing. Third Stone Records was a record company that was started by Michael Douglas. And uh, he was looking for an act to put on his album, or his, excuse me, on his record company. Um, he had a distribution deal with Atlantic Records, so he knew the A&R guys and interacted with them. And Jason Flom, who's the famous A&R guy from Atlanta, excuse me, Atlantic, Electra, and all the Warner Brothers labels, um, picked up on Saigon Kick. Oh, they went to see them, and they said, we have to sign this band. And they called up Michael Wagner and said, hey, what do you think of these guys? Michael turned around and says, I would love to record them. Send them out here. So they sent them out to California. They recorded their first album. This is what we got. Um, I said I was going to take the lead on this one, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's start this off. The first song on the album is a song called New World. Um, it's got a tribal drum intro. 
Um, it's got some really cool harmony vocals in the verses with Matt using his lower register during the pre-chorus chorus. And then the band, and I wouldn't say so much the band comes in to do the harmony vocals. It's really more Matt and Jason who do a majority of the vocal work. Their, their voices mesh very well together. And they really, really sing a lot of stuff together. And then there's sometimes where you can, you, you have to really listen carefully to pick out Matt singing by himself because both of them sound so similar. They have a little bit different sound though, because because Matt has more of a rasp in his voice, and mm-hmm. Jason is a little bit cleaner. Um, and you can definitely tell that when you listen to the third and third, fourth, and fifth album. Oh yeah, the third one you can tell that that the, the the bottom end of the vocals wasn't wasn't there. Yeah. Um. And you so you could distinctly tell Matt's missing. But the other thing too about it is that at times what I've noticed after listening to these two albums again, what I noticed was that they sometimes just doubled Matt's voice because you don't hear that higher end that yes, Jason brought. And then other times they just put so many effects because they have a lot of echo on Matt's vocals, on both their vocals, that you can tell it's just Matt singing. But for me, it wasn't until I was really, really paying attention to this uh, with these listening to these two albums this week that I kind of noticed that. I would always just think, oh, that's just the way they sound. Then I realized, is this Matt? Is this Matt doubled or is this Matt and Jason? You know, so... It was it was quite interesting to have to listen to this all over again and really pay attention to who was where. Um, this song also has no solo, uh, but instead we get a spoken word breakdown, which leads into some really heavy riffs that have like a phaser effect on them. The song is slow, the song is brooding, but it's a really, really, really heavy song. What do you think? I mean, I love this opener. It's you know, it's kind of it's bold and it's grandiose. You know, it's it's got a lot going on. It's it's heavy, but the vocals are kind of long and drawn out, yes. which which gives it like this really cool effect. It's it's um, kind of juxtaposed there. Um, Matt sounds great, and he really has a unique voice. I mean, Jason has a similar voice, but but there's something about the way that Matt sings that is very unique, and it, that would carry on in some of the other tracks that we'll talk about, like where he the way he expresses his words, you know? Um, and there's a rawness and like a willingness to experiment that like, as this is, as the opening track, um, it says a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it is definitely a different kind of song to open an album, especially with the brand new band that, that for the most part, nobody across America knows. Mm hmm. And to be signed to a major, I mean, yeah, it's Third Stone, but they were signed, you know, it was also part of Atlantic. So it, it to be signed to a, a major label, essentially, um, is pretty, is, is, I mean, for not a lot of national recognition, it was a pretty bold move. And it paid off to some extent. It's just, it was, I guess, bad timing overall throughout the whole thing. Um, but anyway, the second song is where you all of a sudden understand where, why this band is, is one, why they're signed, but two, why they're so unique. The song is called What You Say, and immediately 
the the comparisons to some sort of Beatlesque style vocal harmonies jump right out at you. Um, the song starts right away in the verse, and Matt and Jason show off their harmony vocals that blend really, really well together. The other noticeable thing is the melodies in the verses and the chorus. Um, it's just there's so many hooks. I mean, Jason is the is the main songwriter. Um, Matt's the lyricist, um, and even Jason throws in lyrics in there. It, it is so unique the way that they write these songs and and the and the way they put together the vocals. It it, it definitely shows why they were as popular as they were at the time. Uh, the song, the solo in this song also goes really well with it, and it's very melodic. I mean, this is an extremely catchy song. Um, you know, it easily could have been the album opener. Uh, I mean, if you listen to it, it, it has the same vibe as an album opener, but I'm fine with it in the order that it's in. I'm, I'm not saying that it should be different. I'm just saying it could be. Right. Um, the the vocal harmony, like you said, is, it's a little different than some of the others, but it's... Because Jason is having a little more open and fuller sound with the way he's he's singing on this song, and the harmony's just really good. Um, this is one of the tracks that puzzles me why Saigon Kick was not a bigger band, um, and the solo is really great and shows that Jason has some chops. Absolutely, I mean this is a great solo in this song. And it, the, the the melody of it, everything about this is like, why wasn't this a bigger hit? Why wasn't this a single? But I believe this was a, a quote unquote single. But I guess I, I guess part of what happened was that the the record company didn't know what to really do with them. Yeah, um, they, they didn't they, know where to place they, them. I'm sure. Exactly. I mean, they really came across as a hard rock heavy metal band. Uh, but again, in 1991. What 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 ends up happening in 1991? You know, uh, Metallica releases the Black Album. Van Halen releases uh, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Skid Row releases, you know, Slaves of the Grind. But then Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger comes out. Nirvana's Nevermind. Pearl Jam's 10. So there's this, this sweeping change. And then there's Guns N' Roses there in, in September with Usual Illusions. There's just so many different bands but at the same time there was kind of like a niche as to where they belonged Saigon Kick really doesn't fit into any of those but at the same time it should have easily fit into the whole thing because they were different just like everybody else was what's funny is they do have some striking similarities to Guns N' Roses especially with the kind of stuff like Guns N' Roses first album right is very hard rock it has Mm -hmm. a little bit of blues element to it but it's a hard rock album their Use Your Illusions albums are not hard rock. They're very eclectic. They're, they're all yeah. over the place. You know? Oh, absolutely. And so it's so funny to me that, you know, that, that was kind of okay, but this, you know, this band, it, it, they just did not connect in the same way. I don't know. May, maybe it was the Beatles style of vocals and harmonies that threw people off, but you would think that's something that would have attracted. But then again, what kind of crowd would have it attracted? Yeah, it's, you know, yeah, is it's, it attracting? Is it attracting a more alternative crowd that's looking for you know that that looking for another Beatles, or is it attracting a metal crowd that doesn't want anything to do with the Beatles? And this is why it got turned off. Yeah. It's really weird. Um, but yeah, this song, I believe at the time was a single per se, but it wasn't necessarily 
like a, they, I don't know if they did a video. I think they did do a video for this. They didn't release anything as a single, technically, for the first album. Their budget wasn't really there. <clears throat> budget? What budget? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> that's true. They only have they only have "Love Is on the Way." <laughs> yeah, and some oh, and video for "All I Want." Yeah, well, I the, never, the two. I never saw that. Yeah, the two singles off of the second album were the only ones. Why would there be him playing drums? Because there's no drums in that song. The drums in in um, "Love Is on all the Way." I, no, "All I Want." Oh, I guess there's there there's, are, a there's bit. drums in "All I Want." There's there's barely any percussion at all, and technically, it, it, the song credits on "Love Is on the Way" are only Jason Beeler and Matt Credit uh, Kramer. There's they don't even credit the other two guys. Oh, that's weird because they're there. Yeah, they're there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a drum beat and there is some some uh cymbal work. <laughs> there's there's cymbal work. There is and the, there if you listen at one point there is a bass line. Yeah. So, I don't know why. Yeah, it's, I know it's, I just right. thought that was funny. So, there's no video. All right. Um so I think there was a video, but maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, let's move on to the next song. Uh the third song on the album is a song called What Do You Do? Now, this song, when I first heard it, I had the most deja vu moment I've ever had because I know that this band is a band I just heard about. I haven't seen them live. I haven't, at this point, I haven't seen them live. And I'm like, I hear this song and I'm like, I've heard this before. You know, the whole... I've heard that rhythm before. I've heard the what do you do? It's, it was so weird. Like it, it was so in the back of my head that I had heard this before, but at the same time, I had never heard it. So there's the song starts with this bass line that mimics the guitar riff. Um the guitar riff during the song. So it, it, it just starts bass at the beginning and then the guitar riff comes in. Um the main verses are just bass vocals and a hi hat, and then as the pre when the pre chorus comes in, the, the guitars and drums jump in. This is another song that doesn't have a solo, but another spoken word breakdown. And one thing you begin to to realize as you listen to this album that that is something that for what it, for what it's worth, Saigon Kick is famous for. Dale will skip a solo to have this part where they do spoken word, and in some cases they'll do both. But they they do that. They alternate. A lot of the songs have either a spoken word part in it or just a guitar solo or sometimes rarely both. But this song, um, the other notable thing about this song is that the the Matt gets that breakdown part and he puts in a, a slur, if you will, um, that although it, it was never an acceptable slur to begin with, uh, in 1991... And we're talking before a lot of these movements that are out now. No one really blinked an eye for its inclusion in the song, but at the same time, it would probably have prevented the song from being like a radio hit. What do you think of the song? Yeah, I mean, the what you mentioned about the the slur. I I think it's one of those situations where, like, if you think if you if you really think about it in the context of the song, um, and the time period, etc. Like, we need to get past this whole 
you know, trying to erase the past and that kind of stuff. Like, right. if it just just think about it in the context of the song, and it it's it's not derogatory or not trying to be derogatory towards anybody. So I I get where what you're saying, and I get where some people might be coming from, like thinking that. But I I kind of disagree, and um, I think if we just start trying to think logically and trying to get past just hating people for hating people, like we need to do this, you know, we need to get past this. But anyway, I think the track is really great. It's a little bit more punk styled. Um, I love the gang vocals, you know, that kind of like the call and response. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of attitude. Matt is just flexing attitude on this track. And, you know, aside from just some of the unfortunate language, I think it's really, really good. It's one of the best. Yeah, it, it it's one of my favorite songs um, on this album. And um, it was, like I said, it instantly was this deja vu type of thing. And I'm like, what is, I've heard this before. But anyway, um, song number four, a song called Susie. Um, another song that starts off with the bass riff. The guitar quickly comes in with it, doubles the, the riff along with the bass. Uh, and the verses is just bass, harmony, vocals, and drums. So it, there's a lot of here's here's the thing. Okay, so I'm you know, I love to talk about songs that, that have a lot of space, a lot of room to breathe. All these songs, because what's really cool about this is there's four guys in the band, and there's four instruments, and that's it. There's not much else to this. And uh, very similar to how Rage Against the Machine, you know, said, you know, the only things that, that's on this album are, are vocals, bass, drums, guitars, boom, that's it, no keyboard, no nothing. This album's very similar, so there's a lot of room to breathe. There's not a lot of doubling of guitars, there's not a lot of guitars playing during the solo, because first of all, there's not a lot of solos, so... There is definitely a ton of room. It was very similar to early Van Halen, where it was just Eddie, Alex, Mike, and Dave, and not a lot of extra layers. So that's what's really cool about this. So with this song, in in the verses, it's just those three things, the bass, vocals, and drums. And when, when the chorus kicks in, the whole band kicks in, and Matt and Jason show off their, vo- their harmonies. Another solo on this one, short, melodic, really, really good. It's, it's a kick-ass solo. And the song goes into its final chorus before giving way to an outro solo by Jason that's probably better than the main solo. And so this is a really, really catchy song. Yeah, um, you know, Susie continues to show the variety of the band because um, every track so far, there there is a cohesiveness to it in that there's a lot of style, there's a lot to it, but like everything's a little different than each other too. So this is a little bit softer in the grand scheme of things, but it's not not a whole lot softer. It still has a kind of a heavy riff to it. Um, the chorus walks along and has a bit a bit of a Guns N' Roses vibe, and um, you know the solos are a little bluesy and are really great. Like I really like the lead out solo, and I like the way yeah, that the song that's, ends. That solo is awesome on the way out. Yeah. So. All right, so the next song, song number five, is a song called Colors. Now, harmony vocals start off this very moody, darkish kind of slow to mid-tempo type song. Uh, It's got another killer bass line on this. It really, really cuts through the mix. And the one thing I got to say about this, you know, about the, the bass work on this album and just the production in general, that 
you in every, in almost every song you can clearly identify the bass line. It's true. But as much as that's pretty cool, the thing that is missing is that there's a lot of bottom end that's missing to this album and to these songs. And it's weird because you can hear this bass, but that's because you can hear him picking away at the bass. He's pick he's using a pick and and but the, there's no bottom end. Like I don't know Michael missed, you know, putting his a microphone up against the the speaker or what, but there's not a lot of bottom end. Even though there's good sound to the bass drum, bass guitar wise, there's not a lot of bottom. So what makes it stand out is that you have this pick that's just really cutting through the mix to to, to show you what the bass line is. Um, so anyway, the, the 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 chorus is really catchy on this one, and and uh, what I like about this song especially is that the Towards the end of the song in the chorus, there's a key change in the chorus, and that I, that really really drives home one the talent of this band, and two that this is a really cool song. Yeah, I mean, color starts things off like in a lower vocal register. It kind of shows a little bit more range from Matt. Um, it slows things down overall, so you know everything's been a little bit faster paced up until this point. Um, but it doesn't. It's not like a ballad or anything. It's just a little bit slower past tra- uh, track. Um, it's also more mature in songwriting. So, so everything's always been, or, or up till this point, has been a little bit more experimental and you know funky and some punk aspects. This is a little bit more mature, um, and it has this like really short and excellent solo. Um, definitely. This is one of the tracks that I think would have more commercial appeal. And if they were to have released anything as a single, I think this is probably what should have been released as a single. Because it would appeal to a larger array of people. Yeah. I mean, if we, when you look at it, what they could have done with this album. So like a song like What Do You Say should have come out and, and presented the band with, as their first single. And then when you want to show more growth to the band, a song like Colors would have been perfect as, a, as like a second follow-up single, you know. And then maybe something that's a little more hard rockish that's, that comes later in the album. But there's so many different things in this album that are so eclectic that it, it really throws you off when you get deeper into the album. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. This this song is is definitely much more mature than the other songs and, and shows how good of, of a group of songwriters these guys are song number six song called coming home um starts off slow uh starts off kind of quiet uh it's a cool riff there's a slight tribal drum rhythm that kind of lurks in the background uh and then another song that has no solo but another spoken word breakdown. And then it comes in with this kind of scat guitar work that, you know, it goes on until, you know, it goes into the chorus again towards the end of the song. It's a, it's a cool song. It's a very moody song. What's, what's your take on it? I mean, yeah, it's a heavier, slow plotter. Um, so the pace is even different from anything before. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. It's I, I don't really know a lot to say specifically about this track. Like, it just... You know, it's in the context of the album, it works really well. You know, it makes me think about how bands used to write albums mm-hmm. instead of just songs and then, you know, 
figure it out or later, you know, or so, you know, obviously always there was, there was the idea like it's just songs and then you're figuring it out, like how to place it into an album. But that was the thing you were putting together an album and this, this works perfectly where it is. Um, right. I do really like the inflection that Matt uses in his vocals. Um, it's just one of those, like, I'm fine with it. I don't love it or hate it, but I feel like the album would be lacking if it wasn't there. So uh, do you understand what I mean by that? Like, it just, it feels like yeah. it belongs in the album. Yeah, it's part of the puzzle that, that, that belongs on the album. Yeah. And, you know, without it, you're kind of like, there's something missing. But even though it may not be the best song on the album, yeah, I totally exactly. get that. I totally get that. You know. Um, so the next album, so from this point on, uh, next album. So for the next song, from this point on, this is where to me I would say the album gets weird for a lot of people, and the reason I say that is because there's there's a a, a, a lot of contrasting lyrics compared to the song and the riffing and all that stuff. So what I mean by all that, like for instance, with this song, number seven, the love of God. It's got a really cool bass intro, and that's obviously they do that a lot in this album. They start songs off with bass lines. It goes into the main riff, and what you notice about the song is it's in a major key. I mean, it's very bright. It's very kind of very happy sounding to some degree, um, and and it has a very uplifting chorus. But I read the lyrics today, and it, it there's there's a to me there's probably a little bit more to the story because. Part of it is that Matt's a poet, so nothing really um, is is like a regular song where you have this story going on. This is a lot of of things that go here and there, and, and all are part of the big picture, but they're not necessarily a story. And this song is the lyrics to this song is that's what it does to me. To me, there's is an underlying darker theme than you initially perceive this song to be. And that's, what do you think that's about one that? thing I really like about it. I would I would liken um, some of Matt's writing as far as his lyrics, because um, you know Jason and Matt wrote pretty much everything on this, like either together or separate. Um, so when when I'm listening to Matt's lyrics specifically, um, I would liken a lot of what he writes to st- stuff that Anthony Kiedis would do later in in um red hot chili peppers career like i would say starting around californication and later um right where a lot of the stuff you don't know the exact meaning behind where it's more poetry than anything and you can interpret it how you feel there's probably a specific meaning to him but to you it's you're you're left with in you know it, with it being open to interpretation and that's what I like about a lot of his lyrics. Um, this, you know, between the first and the second album, I feel like it's a little bit less of a collaborative effort, and it became more about Jason's writing. Um, but the but in this particular album, I I like where their chemistry was at. Um, we'll go more into that later, obviously, but. Um, this track has all kind of all the things like I, I would actually compare it in a lot of ways to coming home um, because there are similarities between the songs. They are different. Obviously they're, they're different key, different 
structure in some ways, but there are a lot of similarities. But what I like about this is this has a lot of high and low points. There's ebbs and flows and there's buildup. It's more dynamic. And that's yes. why I really like this. I think it's one of the stronger tracks on the album, really. It didn't appeal to me like the first couple times I listened to it, but I think over time it re- was one that really kind of stuck with me and grew on me because there is there is such a like like I said, like there's a dynamic aspect to it that is really strong. So yes. I, I think it's one of the better better tracks on the album, to be honest. Yeah, it it, it is definitely one of the better tracks in the album. It's it's one of those, like I said, it, it, it there's something about this because of the poetry behind the lyrics that is definitely not what it seems to be on the surface. And but structurally, you know, the it's got so many cool things, you know, that, like you said, there's ebbs and flows and ups and downs, and there's a lot of dynamics to it. Um, you know, there's that quietish interlude before it goes back into the chorus towards the end of the song, you know, and even at the end, the last, the last third of it, when they're just going and singing for the love of God, then all of a sudden Matt changes that and he starts going into a chorus of woes and O's and stuff like that. And it's, and it, but it's, it's of course, harm, you know, harmony and, and it, it's melodic and it, it's, what they are and so yeah there's a there's a lot of it there's a lot to like about this song mm-hmm. all right so then you go into this really different kind of song uh song number eight down by the ocean um so they put in an ocean sound to start it off and then this really heavy drum groove starts and then it's followed by a heavy riff that fades into the bass line and that begins to groove the song and then it then at that point it's just the harmony vocals front and center and it's a story about johnny and his life challenges um the lyrics are very interesting to this one i really encourage people to go out there and really read about this story on this song because it's very interesting um and again there's a lot of comparisons i would put out there to the beatles on this one not that it's it the same kind of songwriting or same kind of um, production work or anything like that, but just just the the the, the harmony vocals is the biggest thing. Um, this has also got another cool, really short guitar solo. This is a very different kind of song. I I really like it, um, and that and it really is kind of focused around like the storytelling of the song, and like it does have a theme of of not being able to you know like um what how do i want to put this kind of everybody wants what they can't have Uh uh-huh if that makes sense like it just i think it's a highlight it's really hard to talk about in the context because it is it is a different song like you said um i mean it's not a metal song it's not a rock song per se or a hard rock song but it is a very unique song that fits within the scope of the band yeah, it's if if you listen to there's a there's a lot of uh, influence from psychedelic music here, sixties, um, and you keep mentioning the Beatles, and I definitely agree. There's there's a few songs on the album that are very Beatles esque. Um, this one, My Life, which is coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff on the second album that definitely feels very Beatles esque. Uh, they they carried influences from a lot of places. 
you know, like I said, Guns N' Roses, they definitely, I, I guarantee you there was there was an influence from Guns N' Roses, the Beatles, um, the Rolling Stones. Like, there, there's so much going on here. And, and sometimes I think maybe that's what turned people off. But I think this is a definite, like, hindsight is 2020 situation where, like, there is so much good here. I, yes. I, I, it's it's, it's kind of sad. It, it is. It is kind of sad when you think about it. And it's funny you mentioned the 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 eclecticness of the, all the different influences. One influence that you you've mentioned it a couple times is uh, the punk side of it. Mm-hmm. And so their vocalizing is very punk style as far as how English punk when they sang, they sang in an English accent. Yeah. So. Th- these guys, Saigon Kick, being you know Floridians and Miamians and Americans, don't speak that way, but they purposely forced in an accent on certain songs because that's the punk influence. Yeah, you know? and part of and part of that shows up in Down by the Ocean. So, song number nine, and now they go back to what they're pretty much famous for at this point: heavy riffs, good short songs. Um, this song, it's got a really killer riff. Acid Rain. Uh, it's an interesting story on the song, you know, and and it, but it's a really, really short song where the guitar solo is almost like, like a quarter of the song. <laughs> it's really yeah. weird, um, but it's a, it's another cool song. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a play on the old nis- uh, nursery rhyme, "Rain, rain, go away, go right. again another day." Um, you know, and it kind of really serves as more of a, like a transition trek like it's not it's, uh-huh. it's not it is fully fleshed out but it's not like it's not a s- full song you know it's only right. a minute and 38 seconds it's just it's it's one thing that I, they do well they put a lot of attitude into a very short track um you know there's like a spoken word one on the next one next album um and, but there there was like they were doing this these things where it was like kind of taking the attitude of punk and just you know like in Van Halen you know when they have um say unchained and David's talking to the the producer you know and yeah. it's it's almost like that kind of stuff they're just having fun they're jamming you know right and that's even though this is this is a song it's it just feels like that it just feels like they're having fun oh absolutely yeah um Especially with a minute and a half song. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So now we're at the song 10 and it's a song called My Life. Now, this is again a completely different song. It's a very Beatles kind of song. It's very whimsical. It's got a light accompaniment. There's no bass, no guitars, but it, there is a harpsichord sounding keyboard that goes through the main verse until you hit the chorus. I mean, we're talking about stripped down vocals as far as there's there's a lot of harmonizing together but it's like they literally stripped all the bass sound away from the vocal part excuse me away from the verse parts but then when it gets to the chorus this bombasticness comes through where the 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 vocals are just jump out at you uh the drums are bombastic and then it goes straight back into the stripped down verse again but the most most unique part of this song, and probably one of the most unique songs in the world, is because it contains a kazoo solo. 
<laughs> and it's not just a, any old kazoo solo. It's actually a, a harmony kazoo solo. <laughs> there's like, I don't know how many they had on there, but there's more than two. I put, I put it this way. It's probably the whole band and maybe even Michael Wagner. All five <laughs> of them probably jamming on this kazoo. This is a cool song. I mean, it's it's definitely playing off the Beatles and '60s music, like I said earlier. Um, the the you know the chorus is one of my favorites on the album, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's so hard to describe some of this music because, like you said, it like is it, very hard it, having a kazoo solo. It's just, <laughs> and it sounds good. That's the thing. Like it because it's hard. It's funny. It's harmony. They're all. In the same, they all sound good. Yeah, you know, I mean, I it's, I, and, and it's, you have to feel like, you know, just based on the lyrics and everything, everything's very tongue-in-cheek here. So it's it's very obvious what they were going for. And it doesn't it doesn't come off as, as contrived whatsoever. It it just sounds like they are having fun, you know? Yeah, and that, that's yeah. what works about all of this. There is a really good harmony, uh, two-part uh, chorus that I, I really like about this song. There's there's so much going for it. It's just really fun. Like it, you know. And sometimes like it's easy to get lost in in you know trying to find meaning and everything. Sometimes it's just cool to have fun. But there is there is meaning. Like there is meaning in all of the lyrics and everything. But like there there's so much more to it and it, it's just a blast to listen to it is you know like you you can listen to a band you know what guns and roses kind of sounds like right so trying to describe guns and roses you know it's a blues band it's you know hard hard hitting guitars the drums sound really cool but to describe this if, if especially for someone out there who doesn't know Saigon Kick to to Kind of get them to understand how this thing goes up and down between heavy riffs, light riffs, Beatles kind of vocals, harmonies. It 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 really really needs the person listening to this podcast to listen to this album or these albums because then they will understand and like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, we're up to song number eleven. Month of Sundays. Uh, I really, really like the riff on this song. Um, put put it this way. This album is full of so many riffs. It's sick. There are so many good riffs on this album. Um, this song really has a good groove to it. Um, I love the solo. Um, and and what's cool, you know, like it, it goes on for a bit, and then it goes back into the solo, and then when the solo... Co- you think it comes to an end and kind of he goes into a scat part before he goes back into the chorus or the whole band goes into the chorus. So this is a really there's a lot of guitar work here from the solo on and I think that's really cool about this song. Yeah, I mean it's a little bit more of a straightforward rocker than a lot of the stuff we've heard. Uh but it's got a nice heavy riff, it's got a cool chorus, another awesome solo. Um but it's it's one of those that it just it didn't like it's an it fits into the album like it's another one of those where I like it doesn't stand out to me as like the best song on the album but 
it fits in the context much like what was the one I was talking about earlier that I felt the same way coming home oh coming home yeah yeah it just it's it's the same kind of thing where it doesn't stand out to me but if it wasn't there I would feel like something was missing uh, yeah yeah I it, and a lot of it has to do with the, just the, the kind of riff it's such a cool freaking song yeah <laughs> all right um now we get to song number 12 and I'm just going to read this off. Charlie, Ted, and the son of Sam, they all eat green eggs and ham. Okay? <laughs> you believe me now? <laughs> um, that's part of the lyrics of this song. This song's called Ugly, and it is probably one of my favorite songs in the album. There's such an awesome riff on this song. But the lyrics are a little disturbing. I, I, I'm going to put it that way. They are disturbing. Um, there's, there's definitely a dark side to this band and, um, but you, you, you almost wouldn't get that because of how all the harmonies are. Um, you know, it, 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 this song is different. It's got harmony vocals in the lead ver- in the verses, but then Matt is basically by himself with, you know, with studio effects in the chorus. So it's an interesting way to switch things around. Um, it's really got a cool short solo on it. But the the lyrics are really what stand out about this, especially the Charlie Ted and the Son of Sam. They'll eat green eggs and ham. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's great. Um, it's all attitude, and it's fun to sing along to. Like if you're in it riding in the car, and you're just ugly. You know, it's just <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. It's another one that has kind of a punk flair to it. Um, you know, and it's not the most technically sound song, but it's just it oozes attitude, and that's all it needs to be. Exactly. Um, the next song, number 13, Come Take Me Now. Now, this is an interesting song to come right after Ugly. Um, because of, one, because of the lyrics um, you know, and the poetry behind it. Um, there's a really, uh, the, to me, when you look at it and you listen to the song, and obviously the, the title called Come Take Me Now, there's just, there's almost a sense of hopelessness with this song, but at the same time, the song comes across as spiritual, um, and they do that thing again where they have a key change in the chorus. Now, for anyone who might not understand what I'm talking about, key change they change keys of the, the the you know the the key of the song. So, like if the, if the song is written in the key of E, it'll go into a higher key. Um, and then they come back down to the key of E or, you know, key of G goes into like a key of A or whatever. Um, so that's something that's really cool. And I, I used to have this guy I worked with back when I worked at the music store in, my, in Miami. Uh, he was one of these guys who liked pop music for the most part. And he loved these singers who would just, they're, as they're singing along, at some point in the song, they change keys. Mariah Carey was pretty good at that. Um I say was because she doesn't really do any music now. Um, so she, she's really good at that. Um, and there was a couple other artists I knew that. But for these guys to be a rock band to do that is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a slower bluesy track. Um, it kind of le- like it has that feel that the album's wrapping up, you know? It, yeah. It's not one of the strongest. I do like what you were mentioning, like with the the key change and, and they are still experimenting. They're all still trying things, but it, I also feel like it's placed at track 
13 for a reason. You know, it's it's not as strong as some of the other stuff, but I I do enjoy it. So, it, to me, the album should have ended here. Um, Agreed. It should have ended because it, it was, to me it was like a perfect way to end. It just kind of fades out. It feels like the ending of the album, and that's exactly. kind of what I meant. Yeah, right, exactly. But there's one more song. <laughs> a song called "I See You." Almost like when you're looking in, you look at it and you see I see you, you would think intensive care unit. Um, mm-hmm. Just because it's, it's I dot C dot U dot. Um, but it's actually, I see you as in with my eyeballs. So um, it's got a really cool chugging riff to it. Um, it's got a very catchy pre-chorus uh, that to me is the main attraction. It's there's, The pre-chorus goes on for a couple until I guess halfway through the song. Um, then the ICU and Starlight comes out, and, and, and then they really go into that main chorus. So it's kind of weird. Um, but this song is so catchy. Um, it, I, to me, it felt like they should have threw, thrown this one in a little earlier so that Come Take Me Now could have been the last song. Because it, it, ICU still fits into the album. I just think it would have fit better earlier into the album. Um, you know, it's I can take it or leave it. Uh, it's a little generic. It still has like a lot of their flair and tropes that they, you know, that make them Saigon kick. Um, but it's it's like I said, I can take it or leave it. To me, it sounds almost like it should have been a B side on a single. Um, you know, it's track fourteen on a fourteen <laughs> track album. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I I totally get what you mean because sometimes I have that same feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Well, that is that is the the self titled debut album for Saigon Kick. So right. here's here's my take on it. I would say it can easily di- be disputed whether the album's diversity is a good thing or a bad thing. I think, like in retrospect, it works incredibly well. Like listening to it now in 2021, it works incredibly well. A lot of a lot of people don't listen to albums in the way that we listen to albums now, but I think it's something that is changing. You know, um, recently, what who was it? Adele asked that Spotify disable the the um, the feature the, on the, the shuffle feature, the yeah. shuffle feature on, on the album because album. artists are wanting to create pieces again. They're wanting to create albums. And maybe that will change in the next few years. I, I appreciate her doing that. You know, I don't I don't listen to her music, but um, I respect what she does. So uh, that's really cool. I think people are apprehensive with new things. And this being when this album came out, like, you know, and there wasn't really any singles released for it. So it, it's kind of unfortunate. But I, I think, again, in hindsight, 2021 you look at this album and if you're listening to this, definitely make your way out and listen to it. Like find it on Spotify, find it on Google music or, or YouTube music or whatever, whatever service you use, it's available. Definitely take a listen to it. I think that in today's aesthetic, like what people enjoy as as far as like rock and pop music, I think you'd really enjoy this. I agree. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, I, I like what Adele. When I read that the other day, that that Adele asked Spotify to to disable, and they actually agreed to it. it was, she has power, you know. She's well, yeah. in in pop music. She's one of the top 
people out there. You know, right? I mean, if you know, if you don't, I'm going to pull the album. That'll probably uh, that'll probably make you change. Yeah, but, I mean, if she asks something or Taylor Swift asks something, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they're going to do it. Oh, absolutely. And I, so I, I definitely think that's a that's a cool thing because you hear so many bands nowadays. Oh, I'm only going to put out an EP or I'm only going to put out a single because no one's really buying albums. Mm-hmm. Well, here's here's a good thing. Like, buy you know, put the album on Spotify and don't let them shuffle it. You know? Yeah, I like that. So that's that's really cool. Um, that was the reason why ACDC didn't go on streaming services for the longest time. They didn't want people piecemealing the albums. They, yep. you know, but that to me is also a, a lost opportunity for for revenue because people still buy singles. People used to buy forty fives, but they still bought your album. So it's it's a lost opportunity for revenue. But I think there is when you're an artist, there is something like not everybody has it. But there are artists out there that really have integrity and they want what they want. Like they want to present the art that they present and it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, in the, in the long run, it matters Like the, when it really hits the pocketbook. But these guys have the opportunity. Like ACDC doesn't need the money. Right. But if they want to do that, like I totally back them. And, and you know, it is what it is now. But right. like I really support Adele with her her doing what she wanted to do. I get it. Yep. I totally understand it. All right. So that brings us to The Lizard, um, which is the second album. It was released in 1992, actually May 18th, 1992. It was produced by Jason Beeler this time, and it was recorded uh, at Sound Trade Studios in Solna, Sweden, and it was again released on Thursday Atlantic Records. Um, real quick note about the album. This album is recorded very well, extremely well. Um, the production on this album is outstanding. The bass is well done and very similar to the first album. It cuts through in the mix, but unlike the first album, there is a bottom end to this one. So you do hear some low frequencies. Not a lot. I gotta say that. Not a lot. Not like some albums that are known for bass, but um, it's there. Um, and Jason found a much thicker, fatter tone for his guitar work on this album than than what was present on the first album. So there's a lot of production on this album that's just so much to 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 be thankful for, I guess you want to look at it that way, because it's it's such a better sounding record. Although What's weird is that the first album sounded really good. It just was thin on the bass. Um, but Jason I, yeah, really... I, I agree. Um, I feel like the production is a little better here, which is very interesting because Jason being the guy that, that kind of took the reins on it. But I also see there's an aspect of it where I think he also started taking control of the band. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's where the internal things started to go wrong and why this is the only two albums with the original lineup. All right, so you're up. What do you got? All right, so the album starts off with Cruelty. Uh, it starts off with an instrumental, um, you know, it's very cool, moody riff, accompanied, wow, I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> accompanied by some ambient sounds. Um you know, not much to say, but it starts the vibe of the al- album off really well. Yeah, it, it's very similar in moodiness to the way um, New World started. Um, but 
I, I, I just found it interesting that they would just throw a completely unique instrumental. And it's not one that technically blends into the second song. It actually ends, and then yeah, the second song it's, starts. It's, it's so, not like a lead-in. That's why I kind of stopped and let you talk about it, because it's, right. not, it's not one of those that, you know, you, you would pair up on, you know. Before. It's not like Helly and Electric Eye. No. <laughs> you know, which is what I thought was weird. He was like, you know, it should have been that way. But regardless, um, it's it's okay. It's an instrumental. I mean, what else are you going to say about it? <laughs> yeah, and it's not very long. It's not like it no. takes like 10 minutes out of your day or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's I like it. I, I actually like the way it starts off. So, um, But then, I mean, that takes us into Hostile Youth. Um, this track is a bit heavier than anything off of the debut album. Uh, the guitar works great. Uh, I love the solo on this song. And, uh, you know, Matt Kramer and Jason Beeler sound great together on this particular track. Like, the harmony is really strong. It, I think it's a great way to start things off. Like, this uh, this would be technically the opening track. And it, it does just what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, another... Uh, not a fast song like you would start a concert type of thing or, or, or uh, a, a typical album when you start with a fast song. This is a, a, a slower mid-tempo song, um, very similar to New World where there's just a lot of uh, uh, moodiness, but in this case, it's more attitude moodiness. It's, so it's not slow like that. Um, it's just, it's very heavy and, and uh, a full of a lot of attitude like i said you know and and this is i mean this is a song about rebellion hostile youth uh you know we don't like our homes there's nothing but a joke i mean this is this is a song of saying hey we're young and we have a voice too you know so it's it's a pretty yeah, cool song. I, mean, I like the way it starts off. That, that that's exactly what it is. Is you know we don't like our homes like we're not we're not just gonna sit in our place you know right and and it, it's what i like about it is it it is poetic in the sense that it's not just saying exactly what it means. And that's something that's missing from writing today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, track three is Feel the Same Way. You know, it's a, it feels a bit lighter. Um, you know, the, it's got some of the classic harmonizing. Um, you know, Feel the Same Way carries on uh, from a lot of the si- songwriting for the debut. Uh, so it's, it does feel like it could easily fit somewhere in that album um it's a really good track um the the i love the bit of the funk in the bass behind everything and then the guitar overdub solo where you've got the you know the the solo being played twice in different you know different notes with uh from jason i i think sounds really good um but I that funky bass in the background, I think, just really kind of stands out on this track. Uh, there's there's so much to like about this track. It's very similar to how what you say kind of kicks the album off, you know, mm-hmm. on the first album, you know, where you have that 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 moody intro, hostile youth. It's a little more aggressive, a little bit faster, but not a fast song. Um, where feel the same way again. It's in a major key. It comes out. It's 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 got this brightness to it, um, but at the same time, it shows off all these talents that they have because it's got a cool funky bass, because of the harmonizing vocals, and because of the guitar work, and the fact that it, it's a, a better sounding guitar tone 
because it's a better sounding bass, it, it, there's just so much to like about everything that you've heard so far that yeah. you're really starting to feel good about this album. Absolutely. That leads us into track four, Freedom. Uh, you know, again, Matt Kramer's vocals ooze attitude and the chant of freedom just it, it it kicks ass it's like it's so fun to sing along to it, it, you know it, it's funny this this is this one is so much a product of its time um you know it it feels like it came from the 90s and you know i can see it sitting in like a soundtrack for like a teen film like a 90s teen film like an empire records or something like that yeah i can see that um and it's also like there's there's not very many long tracks, but there's there's longer tracks on this album. It, this is one of those the ones that is longer. I think it's over five minutes. Um, there's only a couple that are, but that is something that is kind of starkly different from the first album, where they I think the longest track was around four minutes on the first album. So they are getting longer, and the songwriting is evolving. Which I like, you know, they, they. I like the rawness of the first album, but there is something a little bit more mature here. And I really like the spoken word section in the middle, you know, that's something that, that kind of happened between both albums where, I, what was the track on the first one where he did it? It, it was New oh, World, wasn't it? And he did it in New World, he did it in What What Do You Do, he did that's it. That's true, yeah. He did it like four, four or five times. Yeah, so like this is something that carries over and I like it, but there's like a little bit of soul to it this time too. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely because of the whole freedom aspect of the song, and and this is one of the few that have a guitar solo along with it too. Yes, that's so, true, and it, and it's a good solo. I mean, that's the one thing about Jason is that he doesn't overstay his welcome when it comes to guitar solos, but he no packs- he doesn't miss too. Like no, every he- solo fits the song perfectly and they're good solos yes yes they they all fit they're 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 perfect for the song like i said doesn't he packs so much into it into that little tiny time that he has um because he could easily make the songs longer just so he could put in a few more bars but he doesn't and that's what that's what's really cool about that so and yeah this is a cool song i mean you've got two three really good songs in a row and they're all different so that's pretty cool all right so that takes us into god of 42nd street uh things slow down a bit more with uh, another kind of beatles flute influenced track um there's some definite 60s elements and you know it again it just shows really how dynamic the band is uh, there's something more mature about the songwriting, like I said, but this is this is a song that really highlights that. Where um, I really feel like this is one of the strongest songs they they wrote. Um, I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? it, it the, the, here's here's a really weird way to describe this song. There's a complexity to this song that is intertwined with the simplicity of the instruments. And, and that, that it's really weird to say it that way. The, think about that. This is predominantly an acoustic song, right? But the mm-hmm. rest of the band is, is electric, if you want to look at it that, like that, right? Yeah. And it's not a ballad. Well, excuse me. It is a ballad, but it's not a love song, okay? It's got a very dark theme, 
and it it really cuts deep into your soul when you think about this, right? Very atmospheric. And I agree with you. One of the better songs in the album. It's probably one of the best songs I've ever written. And it's not an up-tempo song, but there's, there is a complexity to it that is derived from the simpleness behind it. It's really weird. And it, really cool solo that it's in it so there's a lot to this song and it's very deep you know yes i was re i mean just when if you read the 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 wikipedia article one of the, the guys that were describing the album talked about this probably being one of the best songs that they've ever done so it, it goes on i'm not the only one who's saying that <laughs> yeah for sure i mean i think it's i think it's one of the highlights all right, so that goes into another highlight. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the next track is My Dog, track six. Um, it's really just an interlude, and it's ju- them just having fun and jamming for less than a minute. There's not much to say. It's just more of that that kind of like Saigon kick flair. Um, th- yeah, there's not a whole lot to it. It's just fun. All right, wait. I I would have thought that you would have been offended by this song because you're such a dog. Because he runs over a dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spoiler you know, alert. <laughs> I mean, it's a scat. It's a scatty riff throughout the the, the song, right? But it, yeah, it's such a dark and twisted song about this dog that gets run over. I know, you know? it's horrible, but it's <laughs> it's just stupid you know like it is i can't be mad at it you know no it's funny because you know you're listening to this and uh you're like you you, you're not expecting what he's saying to come out of him you know at the point you're like what what do you mean Uh (laughs) but yeah it's a it's a really cool quick song so i like it um that leads us into track seven peppermint tribe another heavier track uh with cool chorus the solo is a little bit more shreddy than some of the others. Like I, I really dig this solo. Um, you know, it, it definitely gets a lot of points from me for that. Um, it's somewhat in, in some ways it's kind of forgettable. You know, it does, it doesn't like stick in my head or anything, but like it fits again, it fits well in its placement on the album. Um, and in the context of when bands wrote albums, again, this is another, to me, like, when I think of the, of bands like this, like, how I liked Early in Flames, where some of those tracks weren't, like, standouts or anything like that, but they were good, and they fit into the album, and I would, I, I would be remiss if they weren't there, you know? And that's yeah. the way I feel about this one. What, what I do like about this track, though, like, particularly is that the drums really stand out. They punch through the sound and they have a really like unique sound compared to some of the other tracks on the album. Right. Definitely. I mean, this song, the, the title Peppermint Tribe um, just immediately lends itself to being a tribal song and the lyrics go along with that. Mm-hmm. But but then they add the, the the drums to it to kind of give it a consistent rhythm, not just your regular you know bass bass snare bass snare bass bass snare bass snare bass snare bass bass snare. It it <laughs> it has keep a, going. Tr- keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that was in rhythm, by the way. <laughs> so, um, but it has that tribalness to it, so that 
obviously adds to the title of the song. Um, and you know, the lyrics, you know, hail me and hail me. So there's, there's this King worship thing to it, you know, all tribal. So there is a, a theme to the song, obviously. Um, and like I said, it, yeah, it doesn't necessarily um, stand out as a standout track, but it definitely fits the album. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a necessary evil, I guess you put it that way, into in the album. So it it works. It definitely works. No, I mean I, I like it. It's just like I said, like I don't I don't go out of my way to listen to it. But there are albums where. I I listen to them from beginning to end and don't skip a track. And that's pretty rare, you know, where mm-hmm. you just you want to hear it from beginning to end. Um and so I would say like in in a lot of regards this is one of those albums like I just I like listening to it through all the way through. And it, there are tracks where I'm going to say this, you know, on multiple episodes I'm assuming where it like I don't go out of my way to listen to it, but when I listen to the album, I always listen to it. You know, and there are right. a lot of albums though that I will skip tracks, and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, this leads us into track eight. Love is on the way. Um, this is their se- second single from the album, and it's also their biggest hit. You know, the, bar none. This is their biggest hit. Um, it's an excellent ballad that shows some of the softer side of both of their vocals from Matt and Jason. Um, you know, when Matt sings, he usually has a lot of attitude and attack on his vocals as well as some rasp. And he is, he's singing in a very natural way. And the two of them are always excellent with their harmonies. And it's, it's just great. I mean, there's a lot of depth in the songwriting from Jason. Um, being an acoustic track with a vocal harmony, being the focus with the uh, acoustic guitar melody and light percussion, and, and you know, just a little simple amount of 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 you know, the the low end in general. Like this is this is different than a lot of the stuff they did, um, but it really showed a level of maturity there that you know, from, from what do you do to this, like within a year, Yeah. you know, and, and I'm not, and I'm not criticizing what do you do? I love what do you do? But like, I'm, it just, it surprises me in some level that that's the same band. Oh yeah. I could, I could totally see where you're getting at with that for sure. I mean, you would, the, the attitude from what do you do to, to this song being so gentle, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's definitely, um, not, I don't want to say the word surprising, but it's definitely a sense of maturity, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I mean, it th- is surprising though. There, I mean, it just it, it it catches you off guard if you don't put it in context that there's only year difference between these albums. That's true. You, that, that's absolutely true. Uh, for me, this song, this is a beautiful song. Um, it's the first of the two love songs that are on this album. Um, I think it's the better of the two by far. I'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, this one was their their hit. It was an MTV hit. I mean, the video was all over MTV. It was all over. Uh, what was that show that they used to have at five o'clock in the afternoon? Um, uh, uh, dial, dial MTV. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it it would that they would call that in and stuff like that. I mean, it was definitely in the top five. Um, 
it was a single, and it was this single was certified gold by the RIAA, so it was their biggest uh, seller. Um, the acoustic, what I really like about this, and, and again, it, it goes back to the whole production of the album, is how clear the acoustic guitar comes through the recording. It oh, is yeah. so it's so well recorded. You can tell that they're nylon strings. They're not metal. They're not steel strings. They're nylon strings. You can hear that. It is is so crystal clear. It's beautiful. Um, it sounds so good. Yeah, and and the fact that there's no drums other than the bass drum, you know, just kind of lightly hitting every so often, uh, keeping the rhythm, um, and then just the the rolling cymbals throughout the song. I mean. I, I have nothing to say but it being a beautiful song. I love this song. It and it doesn't sound um cheesy like some ballads sound. Like you know, you listen to some ballads all these years later and they they, they sound cheesy. They sound like they were written as ballads. Like this is just a really nice song. Yeah. I, I there's not a whole lot more I can say about it in that regard. Like I I'm not a ballad guy. I like some ballads, but this one just when I listen to it and you listen to the skill and precision at which these guys sing together, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. All right, so that leads us into track nine, the title track, The Lizard. Um, things kind of pick up immediately with this this heavier track. Um, I have to say that this song is one of the has one of the best solos on the album, bar none. It is such a good solo. It's simple, but it sounds so good, and it knows like where it should be. Um, the lizard is heavy and punkish at times, but it's also again very mature. Um, it's something that you know the band is clearly starting to master at this stage in the game. They're they're understanding like uh, songwriting structure a little more clearly than they did in the first album where I love the rawness of the first album, but there is something that like within a year they have evolved. Yes, they definitely, the, the evolution of Saigon kick from album one to album two is definitely on display here. Um, I love this song. This is one of the heaviest songs that they have. The and it's very complex riff. It's not a simple, you know, chugging kind of riff. There's a lot to it and it kind of slightly changes every so often. So, that's something I like about this song a lot. Solo is super cool. I love the the solo. The funny thing about this song is the intro about this is it's so it 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 fits, but at the same time it wasn't necessary, but they put it in there anyway. Because it's somewhat comedic, because you know you hear this guy walking in, and you hear him walking in with with um, uh, not stirrups. What are those things called on the back of your boots? Spurs. Spurs. So you you hear this guy walking in with spurs on, right? And then uh, you know he stops, and and he's like, oh, I forget what he says. You hear different noises. You hear the little uh, the the the, the instrument that makes it sound like a rattlesnake there's a western vibe to it but then you know the drum the drummer comes in and hits a beat and and, and hits like a a flat note or symbol something like that I can't remember what how it goes but it's just so it's it's somewhat comedic 
It has this Western feel to it. And then, then I don't know if it's Matt or Jason, but someone comes in and goes, howdy, stranger. You know, and it's <laughs> like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Right? But then yeah. that killer riff comes in and you you just forget about it, you know, because the song is so good and so heavy. It's just funny that it has that intro. Um, so anyway. All right. So that leads us into track 10, All All Right. Um, to me, this this kind of starts off very sounding very Guns N' Roses, especially in the vocals, um, but not not as high as Axel. But like you can hear that rasp that that you know Kramer is able to accomplish. Um, it's got some blues rock elements and reminds me of like some kind of biker sound. Um, at times, there are it, it like kind of almost channels the memory of like the Sons of Anarchy theme. Um, but you know which of course came around much later but i i really like it like it's just it's kind of different you know yeah it's got a cool groove to it yeah uh, it's very groovy i mean this That's- for the most part like during the 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 main verses it just is, it's just a straight rocker I yeah mean, it's about as straight of rocker as as any of the songs that they have um but then you know the the chorus and pre-chorus and bridge and whatever you want to put in the song is then it goes into the eclecticness that is Saigon Kick, um, and then obviously the, the the harmonies and all that stuff. But the the verses is about as straightforward as it gets. Um, I like the the chorus. You know, it it it's catchy in a weird kind of way because it's real simple, mm-hmm. but because there's harmonies to it. That's what makes it catchy. So it's a it's a cool song. Definitely uh, uh, a sp- speeding up the tempo. Just oh, for sure. Just yeah. to bring it back down again. <laughs> yeah. So we go into track eleven, which is sleep. Uh, it's another interlude at just one minute long. Um, but honestly, it's one of my favorites on the album. Like as as far as like something different and and unique. Um, and kind of serves as a lead in to all I want. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a dreamlike gallop to the guitar mixed lower into the mix. And uh, there's a really cool chord progression. So I, I really enjoy this one. I I look at this one as almost like a, a, a tribute to Eddie Van Halen. Um, it's very Eddie Van Halen-esque kind of or Eddie-ish kind of solo if you, especially if you remember like little guitars or spanish fly you you mm-hmm. know in those two solos he's he's doing something with one hand and doing something different with the other hand um in this one the way i look at it he's using a hammer on technique along with some echo effects and then he's turning his his volume knob to kind of give it this idea and that's what i'm i'm guessing as as someone who's never played guitar before, <laughs> but I I but I wanted to be a producer, so I used to pay attention to how guitar players do stuff. Feel free to correct him in the comments. Exactly, please, <laughs> please. But you know, I've seen that. Like like you've seen um, what's his face, the dude from um, uh, Rage Against the Machine, Tom Morello. Mm-hmm. He has. I mean, there's one solo he does. With um, with Audio Slave, he never touches the strings, but yet he pulls off this really wicked solo. Okay, 
he because he uses that I, I I I don't know what they call that machine, but it has like a little antenna on it, and he um he which call he he puts himself closer and farther away, and he does shit with it, and it never touches the strings, but he got the kick ass solo to it. Um, and then there's others where he's all he's doing is between him picking and using his tremolo bar and the volume knob. I mean, he does some crazy ass shit. So this to me, just listening to the way it, it comes across and knowing how Eddie used to do shit on his guitar, that's the, that's what I felt like. This was like a, a little bit of a hammer on, not necessarily a speedy hammer on, but you know, mixed with some echo effects and, and him turning his volume knob in and out, in and out, in and out, or up and down, up and down, however you want to look at it. It's a really cool interlude. I like it. it. I love how it blends right into All I Want. Absolutely. And All I Want is the first single released on the album. What's interesting to me about this band is the way that these singles were marketed. You know, you think about like the what their first album was, what a lot of the eclectic nature of this album was. And the the studio obviously felt like we need to release the two love songs to try to get this band off the ground. That was a and it's mistake. not yeah, and it's not indicative of what they do. So, you know, it, it obviously Love is on the way needed to be a single. Um all I want I don't necessarily agree that it needed to be a single or if it was, release more songs as singles. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> no, what what should have been what should have been the lead single was Feel the Same Way. Right, the way I look at it, should yeah. feel the same way. Then you throw in "Love Is on the Way," number two, perfect. And then you follow up "Love Is on the Way" with "All I Want." The reason being is because no one knows Saigon Kick from Adam. Basically, they they they've heard the first album to some extent. It wasn't a, a national, you know, uh, hit. So you put in something. What's the reason behind the band? What kind of band are they? Feel the same way is a very good way to show who this band is. Agreed, and that's Short that's song. the problem. Is as great as love is on the way is, anyone could be the 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 band on that one. You right. know, it's there are there are singles that are amazing out there in the world. That that's the only thing that artist ever did, and and love is on the way. Unfortunately, is pretty much that. You know, in in some aspect, this band is a one hit wonder. Oh and, yeah, I, I, and, I totally agree with that. And so, and it's sad that that's the case because we're talking about this, and I'm a guy who just started listening to them, what thirty years later, and you were in and on it from the beginning, and we feel the same way. Feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean, like it oh, yeah. just it, it's so funny that 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 can be the case. So. Um, my issue with this is it's not a bad song. It just, it irks me that this was the, the first single. Yeah. It does. It should not have been the first single. Um, no, it should not so it's a competent song. You know, I, I don't feel like it's indicative of who they are as a band. It shouldn't be a single and love is on the way is a far better ballad. That's all I really have to say about it. Like, it's a good song, but I think for me, there's this connotation where I'm I'm kind of mad that it was the single. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I I like the song a lot. Um, it's the other love song on the album, and 
musically, it sounds to me like it's being played on an acoustic guitar with metal strings, but it could also be being played on a electric that's being played on a clean on the clean channel. Um, regardless of that, um, I like the way Matt sings on this. Um, he's it's by himself basically up until the chorus. Um, it to me it's a it's another beautiful song by the band. What really, really attracts me to this song is the lyrics. And what really attracts me to the lyrics is, is I have I dedicated this song to my wife a long time ago um, when we were first dating. Um, and it wasn't a song that came back into our um, periphery ever, basically, just because it was just something that was put to the side and we listened to other music. But lyrically, I really, really connect with this song because of my wife and so that's the reason why i like this song a lot i mean i can get Pre- that predominantly lyrically you know yeah um, i can get that but you know that's that's another case of but, like it has a emotional value right. to you but it's not it's not the same as like what i'm talking about is is it's a totally different no, matter you, you, i'm thinking you hate of it the song from, because they put it out as a first single. i don't i don't <laughs> hate the song <laughs> i don't no, I, hate the song but it but i don't agree with the way that it was utilized no absolutely i don't i don't agree with that either it was it was it was bad i mean i don't know if this was atlantic's choice or if this was third stone's choice but whoever it was just didn't know what they were doing and i think jason flom had already gotten out of the way by this time and it was it's a sad thing because it could have this album has so much potential to it it's it's one of those things that happens like with um with anthrax throughout their career where they listened to the studio on what what songs were supposed to be the singles and they should have just gone with their gut you know yeah. it's it's it is what it is at this point oh, but yeah. yeah again in hindsight hindsight's 2020 so um but that leads us into track 13 body bags um what i like about this is it it definitely has some like red hot chili peppers kind of vibe to it like I'm not saying it was influenced by them or anything, but I'm saying like if you if you listen to the way like the way the song is sung, it reminds me a bit of Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I'm totally here for it. I I I really like this track. Um, Body bags, you know, it's fun track with high energy, um, and being that we're into track 13 like that's a really good thing to still feel that way about the album. Um, you know, we reviewed. A lot of albums that can't keep things going, you know, for six tracks. So, <laughs> um, so like this is this is what I really like about it. I mean, the, this is the only one that has a soul, uh, like a, a songwriting credit from Phil Verone on either album, and uh, again, that's shared with Jason Beeler. With, uh, and pretty much everything from here on out is Jason Beeler. Yeah, um, I love Body Bags. Man, this is a cool song. Um, it's fun. It, it has a it, lot it, of attitude. It's, a, it's again, it's another one of those twisted songs about death that they like to write. So it's weird in that sense, but it's got a ton of attitude. I love this song. I could crank this song up any day of the week and, and enjoy it. Um, listening to it the last couple of days is just, it's so awesome. It, it's a killer riff. I love the riff. 
Um, and I should I should change that. It's not really a killer riff because the song's about death and killing. It's an awesome riff. <laughs> um, well, it is a killer riff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is one of Jason's longer solos on this album, um, but it's almost done like in two parts. And so when, uh-huh. you, th- when you think it's almost over, then the, the solo starts to soar again, and then it kind of stops. And then the song goes into the last verse, which acts almost like a breakdown more than a verse. Uh, and then it goes into a full-blown... Ver, uh, chorus again. Uh, I this song is really cool. I love I love this song. Agreed. Um, but that takes us into track fourteen, Miss Jones. Um, I really like it. It's a, it's a little bluesier. Um, vocal harmony is not as obvious, and what I mean by that is like the chord progression is not just obvious. You know, it, it's not um, it's not you know the typical scale. You know, they they kind of divert your expectations which is what i really like i love when musicians do that where they they just don't follow exactly what you think is going to happen and it, it makes for a really cool effect yeah um this is by this point in the album so this is where for me and i'm a big psycho kick fan this is for me where the album is just like now we're a little too long Mrs. Jones is a cool song, not a great song. It fits within the vibe of the album, but I think we've gone uh, a couple songs at this point. Well, this is one song too long, and there's two more songs to go. So that tells you where we're at in the album. Mrs. Jones, or excuse me, Miss Jones, right? Mrs. Mrs. Jones. (laughs) That one. Um, this we got a thing. This one, no. <laughs> this one just it, it, it's there for me. It there's, there's nothing great about it. I mean, you hear the harmonies, but you know, it, to me, it's almost like generic. Now, how you felt about a, a song earlier in the album? This is the way I feel about this song. Fair about enough. To- um, then that takes us into world goes round, which is where I start feeling like the album's one too song or one song too long. Um, you know, it's, it's really generic. It's not bad per se, but it's just, we've talked about this before where like, and I always go back to Slayer, you know, cause Slayer wrote these sh- short albums towards the beginning, but you really felt like, like those first few albums, well, the, the third through fifth album were pretty perfect in, in, in the context of what they were, you know? And they were only like 28 minutes, like, you know, and that's fine. The album doesn't have to be 50 minutes. Um, and that's kind of what I, I feel about this one. So I, I get what you're saying with Miss Jones. I, I like Miss Jones a little bit better than this one though. Well, yeah, this one's, you know, this it's atmospheric. Um, you know, we've already used to the, to the vocals, so we know that that's what it's going to be like. Um, so it, there's nothing that stands out about this song that sits there and say, oh, now I know why it's included in the album. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, to me, it's an album filler song. But why are you putting an album filler song 15 songs into the album? You know, you've already kicked ass throughout the whole album. Cut it off, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's it, to me, it, it, it served no additional purpose. It didn't enhance the album. So, you know, luckily it's at the end of the album, so you can stop after Body Bags or Miss Jones and just be done with it, you know? But I disagree, 
because track 16 chanel is a really fun album closer and it's another one that kind of harkens back to like the the 60s beatles stuff uh it's really like very tongue-in-cheek it's it's more of a joke than being serious and it really would have like I think it, if you actually took this song and put it in the '60s, it would have worked as a song in the '60s. <laughs> yeah, um, no, but I like but at this yeah, but the, at this time in 1991 or 1992, right? Um, it it works. Like I think it's really funny, uh, and like the only thing that I don't like about it is it's like it's the final track from Matt Kramer. That's true. Um, it, it is a. It's a cool song, and it's very reminiscent to my life from the first album. Um, mm-hmm. sh- stripped down sound, um, and it the style, however, of the song is, is like you said, it's it's an older song, '60s song. Maybe even you could probably even put it, you know, older than that. Um, uh, yeah, p- hypothetically, I, you could put it like as in like the songs like Daisy, Give Me Your Answer, Do, and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's definitely, and I don't know who who the hell Daisy is, but <laughs> you've never heard that song by. Uh Oh man, it's it's like Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do you never heard that one? Wow, no, I have not. Oh, it's it's on a whole. Lo- they they use it in like really creepy marketing for like games now and stuff like that. So that's the only way that I heard it. <laughs> and then I, you know, we saw the commercial, and this this was when I was younger and my grandparents were still alive. And my I remember my grandma saw it and she was like, "I like that song. Why did they do that?" You know, <laughs> it was really funny. So, no, I I like Chanel, but. I, I think they much like um, if they would have put Mrs. Jones if they would have put that in Mrs. Jones earlier in the album, it would have it would probably would have been better because now you're mixing in these two songs that are pretty decent and you're surrounding it by really good songs and that's how you keep the album going like that. Well, I I would disagree. I and this is the way I would put it. I think you you in the album. You do body bags and then you do Chanel oh, and yeah. that's the end of the album. I could, I could see that. I could see that. Because Miss Jones, I like it, but I, it's not necessary. Oh, it's World just Goes there. Round is absolutely unnecessary. World Goes Round <laughs> is unnecessary. So if you cut both of those songs and just end it, like say 14 tracks at Chanel, you cut 10 minutes off the album and it's it's at 40 minutes instead of 50, it's much better. It's a better runtime. It, it loses the only filler that I feel is in the album, and it's it's a much stronger album for it. I agree. So what do you have to say about it? All right, so overall, I feel like it's a really nice follow-up to the debut album, and it's no sophomore slump. Like, this is either as good or better than the first album, which is really nice to see because, you know, every, there's so many bands out there with a sophomore slump. Um it shows a bit more refinement and maturity than the self-titled album, which is kind of both to its credit and detriment. Like there, there's probably going to be a lot of people that, uh, that really like the rawness of the first album. And there was a little bit more edge because they were, you know, they were young and unrefined, you know, that first year. And there's, there, there's a lot to be said about the, um, 
refinement and the, the the you know the progression that they made in on the second album but there also is a, there's an argument to enjoy that rawness of the first one so it's a mixed bag which is a weird thing to say but again i just feel like this band should have been way bigger than they are no i i absolutely agree with that and um i wish they would have been you know i i i actually if i'm not mistaken i met them when they released the album Devil in the Details, I actually have an autographed copy. And, you know, by that time, you know, Chris McLernan had replaced Tom DeFile. Matt Kramer was gone. Uh, they had, I think they brought in another guitar player, but I don't remember. Um, and I mm. believe, I, I believe Phil Verone was still around at the time, you know, and so it was, uh, it, was it was nice to meet them, but it wasn't the same band, you know? Yeah. Um, and I did get to see them, I believe, if I saw them three times. They opened up for Extreme one time. Uh, got one of their guitar picks from the show. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, and then uh, at that time when they opened up for Extreme, Chris McClendon was playing bass. And Chris McClendon came from a Kiss cover band. And so between Extreme and them, they did Detroit Rock City. So that was pretty cool as, as a Kiss fan. That was pretty neat. Um, so yeah, they, I wish they would have been bigger. I wish they, 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 you know, would still be around today per se. They're technically still around. They're technically still a active band, but one, the pandemic has pretty much shut down all these really, really tiny bands. And two, um, they've got day jobs other than Jason. Cause I think he's a, he's a, uh, uh, he has his own record label and he has his own studio. So, and he has that album that he released last year. Um, yep. Whatever the hell it was called. Jason, yeah, I can't remember. Jason Von Beeler or something or other. It was really weird. Something. Yeah. It was a weird title, so, but it was a cool album. I liked yeah, it. It was pretty decent. I, I didn't like it. I, I didn't like it as much as these two albums, to be honest, but I liked it. Oh, no, I, these, are, these albums are good. So, you know, um, I wish, I, I wish like you, that they were still around to, to be able to, you know, a little bit more prominent than they than they were. Um, so, what do you what are your thoughts on what, what do you, which one do you think is the better album? You know, this is a tough one for me because I really like both, and they both have their merits. But you know, it's funny when I was listening to these over the last few days. Um, as much as I like a lot of the stuff on the first album, like I, I think there are some songs that I find to be better than anything that was on the second album as a whole i've kind of started to like the second album more um i like the the cohesiveness i like the production a little better and uh, there just there's some really good stuff on the second album that i don't think i i quite got the first time that i listened to it i you know when i listened to it the first time coming right off of the debut album um I kind of didn't like that refinement. You know, I didn't like that they were they were cleaning up a little bit. But as I listened to it more, I was like, wow, that this is really impressive that just in a year they have come along quite a bit of ways and and I saw the direction that they were going where they were trying to kind of like they were figuring out exactly who they were. And so it's just, it's such a disappointment to know that, like, 
I listen to Water, and Water is it's a pretty good album, but it's it's just sad. It's missing, you know, something, and obviously that something is Matt Kramer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got a, that that album's got a couple cool songs. I love, uh, I love One Step Closer. I love Torture, and Fields of Rape is an interesting song. It's a good song, just a bad title. Um, yeah, they did a really cool, almost note for note, tone for tone copy of space oddity on that album so mm-hmm. it is it is a pretty decent album I'm not gonna, you know i don't want to say it's a bad album but by this time losing losing matt they just lost their mojo so agreed uh for me this is extremely difficult because i really 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 like these two albums yeah i agree <laughs> um and and for my me, opinion might change next week. Exactly. Know. <laughs> you know, because I really, you know, just listening to him for all this past week or so, I really enjoyed the fact that the lizard has got such great production. Um, you know, for me, albums that sound really good always catch my attention. And yeah. even though the first album sounded good, there was a lack of bottom end. Um, the second one was just so much superior sounding wise and and still it's yeah. not perfect but you know i like it um that being said the first album um i just really can't get over the first five songs i mean i love those first They're five so songs <laughs> i mean just boom 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 and then you know even then you have coming home and love of god and it just it, it just go, it just goes all the way up to icu and to me, I, as a whole, I could listen to the first album all the way through easier than I can listen to The Lizard all the way through because The Lizard loses me at Miss Jones and World Goes Round and Chanel. Chanel I like Chanel. The problem is, is it's after those other two that I don't want to listen to. <laughs> Think about the absurdity of the statement, too. It's like this, the album really loses me at track 14. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how good these freaking albums are. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Saigon Kick's first album in my in in, in my uh, my Completely choice. Valid. I mean, I'm not gonna argue. There, I, it's a really tough choice. This is this is one of the toughest ones to say. Which one do I like better? It really is. Yes, it is. Definitely. Most of the time, I don't have a problem. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know which one I was going to choose until I finished talking about it right now. <laughs> Pretty much same. Yeah. All right, so. That leads us now that we've made this really indecisive decision. Uh, <laughs> that leads us to the big four, and it's of course the big four Saigon Kick songs. Now, um, they've got five albums. I have no idea what's on album number five. I have no idea what's on album number four. Um, even though I have an autographed copy, uh, <laughs> I even have a I even have an autographed picture of the band somewhere in my collection uh, from that album. Um, but and, and even with me liking those three songs that I mentioned or four songs that I mentioned on Water, my big four come from these two albums. That's just that's just the bottom line. Yeah, so, same here. So um, I'm going to go ahead and go first on this one, just because I really want to hear what you have to say about yours. So uh, um, number four for me, um, <clears throat> actually there are there are two songs. Before I get into number four, uh, there are two songs that um, I got on a single for 
I can't, I can't remember if it was for love is on the way or if it was for a, a different song, but it was a European single, um, for a song on this album and the b-sides were a song called hey 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 which i really really like um and then there's uh an acoustic version of colors and that is really cool because the guitar solo that he plays electrically on the album he actually does that same thing with an acoustic and it comes across really well. So if you ever get a chance, because it's not on, it's not on Spotify. So if you ever get a chance to listen, or if you catch that by chance somewhere out there, check it out because it's really cool sounding. I almost put "Hey Hey Hey" as my number four song. So that was my that's my uh, honorable mention. <laughs> all right. But um, number four is all I want. Because of the emotional tie to me and my wife, I really, really enjoy that song. Um, I, I can sit back, close my eyes, and just and just see me and my wife together with that with that song. So it's really cool. Uh, number three, you can also open your eyes and see your, you and your wife together. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> no, it was just a joke. <laughs> like she's right there. Yeah, look, hey, there you go. Hey, honey, how you doing? Um, number three for me is "What Do You Do" off of Saigon Kicks' first album. Um, it's just, just so much attitude. So I guess part of these, the next three songs all have attitude. So that, that'll kind of give you a little insight to me. <laughs> I go from all I want to these really, really blatant attitude songs. So number three, what do you do? Number two is Ugly from the self-titled album. And um, number one for me body bags off of the lizard um there were so many cool songs to choose from because i really really like the lizard i really really like Susie. i like you know uh new world i really like new world so it was really hard but these four songs stood out the most for me very nice our lists are very different this time oh about Which time cool. <laughs> yeah all right so my number four is god of 42nd street I really like that song. It, it shows a lot of level of maturity. Um, you know, and it, it's one of those that has that Beatles influence, and which I really like about something. It, it, it's something that they do that I really like. Let me, let me put it that way. <laughs> um, and it, it just showed an evolution in such a small amount of time, and that's why I really like it. Uh, and I like the lyrics a lot. Um, my number three is going to be very surprising because it's very mainstream. Uh, it's love is on the way. I, I absolutely love this song ever since I first heard it. And, um, it's one that I didn't even realize was psych on kick because we had, you had mentioned them to me, what a couple of years ago now. And, um, I hadn't really heard of them, but I did recognize this song and I had never really paid a lot of attention to it, but, um, you know, over the last couple of years, as I've been listening to it, it's one that I can really appreciate, and it shows a lot of talent from both of these guys. And uh, it's it's just sad to me that this was their only really big hit because they they do have better songs to me. Um, and so my number two is "What Do You Do." Uh, I think that's the only one we have in common. Um, but it's it's an awesome track. It's just oozes attitude. Um, the the way that he inflects on on the vocals on this song are so great, um, and it just it kicks ass. And then my number one is what you say. Uh, I oh, wow. I 
I absolutely love that song. And it's one that I go back to a lot when I'm just listening to like just random stuff. Um, Something about the way that that song starts off. It just, it has like such a killer appeal to it. And I wish like, I wish, cause I, I can see it being in like movies and stuff like that. I wish, I wish it was something that was bigger than what it is. Cause I really like that track. So your list is, is somewhat surprising to me. Like, like you said, uh, I'm really surprised by love is on the way and I'm surprised by what you say. I'm mm-hmm. not surprised by God at 42nd street. Cause that's such a good song. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not surprised by what do you do. Obviously that's what on my list. Um, because like I said, there's so many songs I could have chosen, you know, yeah. uh, the lizard is, I mean, I love the riff on the lizard. I mean, that it's is so, so heavy yeah. and I can just crank it, you know, uh, same thing. I love Susie. I love colors, you know, and, and new, like I said, new world. I mean, I love new world, but these songs just represent me more. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like your list. I mean, it, it's definitely, I'm surprised by Love is on the Way because I didn't really realize that you had such an attraction to that song. Um, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's hard to deny how good it is, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it just, it's one that I don't feel is a cheesy uh, ballad. You know, I, I think it, it's, it sounds very heartfelt and it doesn't, it doesn't like, just grasp at stupid concepts it's just it's just saying like you know it doesn't always work out let's try it again you know and that's that's it's a it's a timeless kind of concept so yeah i think it, it it it's one that a lot of people can just gravitate to well, cool. Obviously, because it was a gold record. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good song. Uh, cool. Well, that's our big four Saigon Kick songs for tonight. And that brings us to the end of this head-to-head episode. So if you like this and want to hear more, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So click that subscribe button. That's right. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you use Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist from our Greatest Hits episodes, and I'm sure we'll have our Alter Bridge one up soon. And remember to tune into the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.